0: Welcome to the Grace Life Church Podcast. My name is Parker Smith, lead pastor of Grace Life Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. Our prayer is that the sermon you are about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's Word, point you to the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Grace Life Church Podcast. and praise team open up your bibles with me to philippians chapter 4 I'm going to be looking at verses 14 through 23 and for the careful observer you would see that that is the end of this great book of scripture and here the apostle paul ends in a similar fashion by which that he began this letter as he often does in his epistles Like bookends, he recaps key themes and closes with a final greeting, though short, but also a doxology as well. If you recall earlier in the book of Philippians, I spent two weeks unpacking the theme of gospel partnership, and I did that through Philippians 1 verses 3 through 8 and talked about what it means to work together in the gospel, and and I will say just Partially, I guess, and, and as honestly as I can, and spending those two weeks hitting on the themes of gospel partnership, I will say of all the sermons that I preach through the book of Philippians, those two messages are perhaps some of the most important, um, applications for the life of our church. And, um, I did that for two weeks. You can go back and listen on our podcast. And in those sermons, I called our attention to the teaching of the scripture to several aspects of gospel partnership, and I unpacked this statement that you may remember. I said that biblical gospel partnership is anchored in the gospel, centered in the local church, fueled by generosity, ignited by mission, and sustained by love. And those truths I unpacked again from Philippians 1, 3 through 3-8, and particularly verse 5. And Paul has been speaking to the importance of partnership throughout this gospel, reminding the Philippians and thanking them for their partnership in in Christ. And I want to unpack this morning as I close the sermon series in Philippians to identify just once again, because the text identifies once again, several aspects of gospel partnership and the importance of partnering in the gospel among the church together and among other churches seeing the spread of the gospel, and for the glory of God, and that within the Book of Philippians, I even outlined this vision statement that as we endeavor as a church at Grace Life Church from Philippians 1.12, that it is our aim and our purpose to advance the gospel for the glory of God, beloved. That's an endeavor that we must do ultimately with God's help, but also with the help of other believers and like-minded churches, and biblically healthy churches. In such, God is honored and Christ is glorified. The sermon summary this morning is that God is honored through the partnering together in the work of the gospel for the glory of Christ. That God is honored through the partnering together in the work of the gospel for the glory of Christ. And I would invite you to stand as we read the final verses of this book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 14 through 23. The Apostle Paul says this, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving inspired word. Do you believe that? Would you say amen? You may be seated. I want to call your attention to several aspects and themes of gospel partnership. Point number one is I want you to see the importance of partnership. See this in verse 14. Paul says, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. The apostle Paul has stated often of his love for the Philippians and also of their care for him. And here Paul continues to thank them of their concern for him. We noted in Philippians 410 of Paul's rejoicing of their revived concern for him to consider the timely reminder and the arrival of Epaphroditus when Paul was perhaps isolated and perhaps fighting discouragement and seeking to rest in the Lord to be reminded and to know that there are other brothers and sisters fighting alongside him and that he spoke earlier of his desire to see the Philippians standing firm together for the sake of the gospel in Philippians 1.27, you may be reminded of Paul's words in Colossians 1.24, speaking of his difficulty in ministry that he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. And Paul recognizes that in his affliction and in his ministry, that they too have been standing firm alongside him in all of his hardships, in all of his difficulty. It was the Philippians who stood by Paul, supporting him, enduring with him, reviving concern for him and sharing, Paul says, with Paul's affliction The word here means to partake with or to be connected to. When Paul went through a trial, he didn't go through the trial by himself. There were other brothers and sisters enduring along with him. And what an encouragement this was for the Apostle Paul, for the pastor to see and to recognize the church is enduring with and fighting alongside him, not working against him, but seeking to help him. And to support Him in any way possible. And how important partnership is. Beloved, one of the greatest challenges comes in life when we feel that we're isolated and we're alone and that no one understands. And that is especially true in ministry. It's often difficult for people to understand the weight and the, and, and and the hardships and to see the picture of a shepherd and the view of leadership that your pastor sees. It's territory that's often can be filled so easily in so many churches. It's filled with criticism. It's filled with hardship. It's filled with difficulty. It's filled with suffering for the sake of Christ. God has designed it that way in many ways that it is one of God's tools to sanctify a pastor that they partake in the crucible of suffering for Christ's sake and being conformed to him. And yet what a helpful piece and reminder of the encouragement and help of partnership. To be reminded that in the difficulty, Paul was reminded that he's not alone. He's reminded that he's not crazy in seeking to aspire towards biblical health, that there's not something wrong with him in the way that he's navigating through trials and and shepherding and how he's responding to concerns and needs and care for the flock and the importance to have others around you to come alongside and to help you and to bear with and partake with. We all need it. And Paul recognizes that he was no exception. And it's even needed for pastors as well. The humbling consideration of help to a pastor to find faithful partners to lock arms with the Apostle Paul and the endearing love that would be built in their togetherness in gospel work. Partnership is important. But secondly, we see that partnership is also a gift. The gift of partnership in verses 15 Paul says, and you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Paul says it was you, Philippians. You know that it was you, even from the beginning, that entered into partnership with me. The beginning goes all the way back to Acts chapter 16 when Paul arrived surprisingly enough, but not to the Lord, in Philippi. In Acts 16, verses 6 through 10, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so passing by Mysia, they went to Troas... And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man from Macedonia standing there, urging him and saying, come to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That's Paul's Macedonian call to work among the church here even at Philippi, And Paul arrives on the scene in Philippi and endured hardship within the city. Yet the Lord was certainly at work among Paul's ministry in the city of Philippi. He saw Lydia be converted. He saw the Philippian jailer come to faith and along with his family. He saw a slave girl be delivered and converted. But he also found a body of believers there that was willing to embrace the ministry of Paul and to support him. And Paul says, From the very beginning, you Philippians were the ones that helped me. And even as he departs from the region of Philippi and of Macedonia, even someone as influential as the Apostle Paul, as pivotal as the Apostle Paul was in furthering Christianity and the gospel, Paul finds that it's quite difficult to find meaningful partnerships in this way. And it is a gift of encouragement and support that the Philippians were to him. He says, no other church entered into partnership with me except for you. That is to say, when a bond of togetherness and unity is formed, it's something to be championed and it's something to be cherished. And such was the partnership of the brothers and sisters who locked arms with the Apostle Paul through difficulty and through affliction from the very beginning. He continues then to show them that not only is it important, not only is partnership a gift, but he shows us point number three, the work. Of partnership, verses fifteen and sixteen. When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. And as soon as Paul leaves the Philippian church, their support of him begun and continued. And the next place that the Apostle Paul ministered was in Thessalonica. But you see within the Scriptures, and specifically within Paul's writing, kind of the model, if you will, that Paul would go into a city, he would find a place to practice his trade of tent making, and we see in Acts chapter 18, this was his practice when he began to plant what we know as the church at Corinth. In Acts chapter 18, we see that Paul's in Corinth, And he says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a name of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them because he was of the same trade. He stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now watch what happens in verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, it's the region of Philippi, Paul was occupied with the Word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. In other words... The church at Philippi supported Paul to the end that he was freed from having to juggle both a trade and preaching. Paul then became fully devoted to the word and fully devoted to the task of shepherding and was occupied fully with the word and the work of pastoring. And in writing to the church at Corinth, Paul speaks of the great financial support of the church at Philippi and what it was able to afford the Apostle Paul. First he speaks of their, it was able to provide care for other Christians who were in need and an offering that Paul was collecting for the saints in Jerusalem. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul speaks of this specifically. He says to the church at Corinth, he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and even beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints." And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And just a few chapters later, Paul speaks that they were not only able to care for Christians who were suffering in Jerusalem that Paul was taking an offering for, but they were even able to care for Paul's need and supporting him in the ministry and the work of the gospel. Consider just a few chapters later, Paul writes the 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 7 to 9. He says to the church at Corinth, he said, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you may be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? Notice what he says in verse 8. He says, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone for or because the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and I will refrain from burdening you in any way. And even prior to Paul being in Corinth, as he is when he writes back to the church at Corinth, he does that in Acts chapter 18, we know that before he was in Corinth, Paul tells us in this text, and we see it in Acts 17, one chapter prior, that even when he was in Thessalonica, he says, you sent me help for my needs. Once and again, that when Paul and Silas left Philippi and they arrive in Acts chapter 17 and they enter into the town of Thessalonica... They were there for about three weeks. It was three Sabbaths that they were there, and they were sharing the good news. And even there, there was a mob that was formed against them. They began to beat some of Paul's companions and other Christians. And even though their ministry had just begun, it was the Philippians that came and quickly helped the Apostle Paul, even upon leaving. Their posture was such as this, to say, our brother Paul is in need, and we're going to help him. Even from the beginning, Paul says, and even in Thessalonica. It was you, Philippians. It was only you. Time and time and time again, he said, you partnered with me. You helped me. You supported me. You gave to see the gospel go forward. But notice in this partnership that it's a partnership that's going both ways. There is both giving and receiving. It wasn't in any way one-sided. There was a mutual leaning in, if you will. Paul wasn't just trying to grasp for help, nor was he insensitive to the needs and situations at the church at Philippi. This wasn't a wealthy church. Paul's not seeking to take advantage of them, but Paul received help from them, time and time again so that he could focus with passion and with zeal fully to the work of ministry. And the Philippians, though they gave, they were able to receive. They were able to receive the blessing of hearing how Paul was doing, of churches becoming healthy, of the gospel advancing from Thessalonica, of Paul's work there and hearing of many that were coming to faith in Christ. And then as Paul moves from there into Berea, they hear of a more earnest desire for the Word of God there. And Paul ministers in Athens. They are aware of him speaking and persuading many at the Areopagus in Acts chapter 18. And then Paul arrives finally in Corinth. After a very hard season of ministry been run out of town. He's been beaten several occasions. He's been threatened with his life. And Paul receives a vision from the Lord, and the Lord tells him, Paul, there is a great work for you to do in the city of Corinth. And there's a little church there. It's called the church at Corinth, and they need help, Paul. And Paul begins to pull down roots He tries to make things work. He begins building tents. And here it was, the Philippians who come through for Paul and say, just focus on the task at hand and strengthening the churches. You be free to focus on them. And it was their joy, Paul says, for them to do that not just to give, but also to receive the blessing of what God is doing through His work and through the Word and through the Apostle Paul. And Paul spent nearly two years there in Corinth, serving faithfully, shepherding faithfully, and it was the Philippians, beloved, that supplied his every need. Giving and receiving, keeping and continuing time and time and time again, the work of partnership. See, fourthly, the fruit of partnership. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Of course, there were some that may have accused Paul of being only concerned with money. Or they were just uncomfortable when the pastor speaks on finances. There was certainly an opportunity to misconstrue. It wasn't uncommon for people to assume the worst of the Apostle Paul and looking for an opportunity constantly to scrutinize him. Here he goes talking about money again. And so in Paul's defense, Paul writes to in First Thessalonians, at the church of Thessalonica, he says this to give a defense for that. He says, For our appeal does not spring for error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. What is verse 5? For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed god is my witness paul says i'm not worried about money i'm not worried about greed and so paul says if i accept the gift his enemies will try to claim that he's somehow greedy or some type of carnally focused pastor yet if he rejects the gift they would claim false humility in 2 corinthians 11:7 and so paul says listen i wasn't seeking the gift It was your love that compelled you to give, and I'm grateful. But either way, yes, I am thankful, but that wasn't what I was after. I'm so thankful of your care. I'm thankful for Epaphroditus coming, but that was not what I was seeking. But he says, my concern was that there would be fruit, carpos, that increases or grows to your account. That the investment of the Philippians though it was given to the Apostle Paul, was credited not to Paul, but to the Philippians. It was credited to the account of the Philippians. Beloved, right giving unto the Lord and His work will always in turn enrich the giver. Not necessarily through financial increase, but through joy. Through the joy of giving and furthering the gospel, the giving away of your stuff and our wealth, of our increase, and the means of is a means of blessing to say and to know that I'm not bound by these things. This is why Proverbs tells us, in Proverbs 11, 24 and 25, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. In the same way, Jesus says in Matthew 5 or 7, it is those who extend mercy who will be the ones who receive and obtain mercy. And it's why Paul will remind the church at Corinth as well that God loves a cheerful giver. That's why Luke reminds us in Acts 20 that it is greater, it's a greater blessing to give than to receive. And Paul says, I want you filled with the fruit of righteousness on that great day, Philippians 1.30. And he said, and my desire has always been that that fruit increase to your credit. Through your faithful support and ministry for the sake of the gospel, one day, beloved, you will see All the benefit of your giving and partnership. And that blessing is being multiplied and stewarded for the use of kingdom work and gospel advancement. That ministry is being accomplished, that sermons are being preached, that encouragement is being given, that people are being saved, that the gospel is being furthered. And beloved, the gifts and offerings that we give unto the Lord, they are not wasted. And they're not a foolish investment. Instead, they're a wise investment. It's one that increases to our benefit and brings great blessing. So we ought not have the posture of reluctancy when we give. Instead, it ought to be our joy. It ought not be about, well, is this percentage the right one, or is that percentage the right one, or let me see how much I have left. Instead, it should be a posture of trust and obedience, but more than that, it should be a posture of joy and the desire to see the gospel furthered. And I'll say this, that people often get so wrapped up and sensitive and even defensive and say, well, a tithe isn't biblical. Almost as if they're just looking for a way to give less. And that's fine. We can have that conversation, but I believe a tithe is entirely biblical. And it is certainly a reasonable consideration and a starting point. Beloved, I don't mind telling you, it's something that I practice and I've never complained. It's always been a joy. But know this, the heart of, of me, the heart of a pastor is that when finances come up and when giving come up, I'm incredibly gracious. I want to encourage you toward that end. I want you to know the benefit and the blessing of that. I believe that you're missing out when we don't give. But as you consider, as you break it down of giving and percentages and you work through that, is, is this okay? Is that okay? And again, There is room for grace in that. But then you get down to the very bottom of it. And you arrive at this. To the Christian who claims to honor Christ and to follow Christ and to trust Christ and yet gives nothing back to Christ, that's a heart issue. There's something off in the heart of a person when they have that posture. is someone that says, I'm more concerned about earthly gain, I'm more concerned about things here and now, and beloved, I only say that to say that it's worth you exploring. To consider what is hindering me from trusting the Lord, maybe in every other area of your life, except this. For where your treasure is, Jesus says, your heart will be also." And Paul says, I don't seek the gift. And beloved, when I say that, I don't seek the gift, but I I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Beloved, what is in that future account for you even now? Not your bank account. God doesn't care about your bank account, how much you have, how much you don't have. He's not impressed. But what about that future crediting that's to be increased? What about that? That's what Paul's after. The fruit of partnership and the fruit that is being cultivated even now. And then fifthly, we see the result of partnership. Verses 18 and 19. Paul says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory of Christ Jesus. Though Paul wasn't seeking the gift, he acknowledges that in fact he has received the gift sent by Epaphroditus. It was his acknowledgement or a receipt of payment. And Paul says it resulted in twofold. We see first of all, that Paul, the preacher, is well-supplied. He has enough to sustain and to continue, to remain confident in the midst of hardship and difficulty, living not in luxury, but comfortably, having enough for his basic needs. The word there, for I am well-supplied, all one word in the Greek, it means to be full. It means to be completed. Paul says, look, I have enough, and thank you for your gift, it supplied Paul, but secondly, don't miss this, it also supplied the Philippians that their needs were met as well. He says, my God will supply, same word, every need of yours, so that you too are full. In other words, though the Philippians gave not in surplus, but even in poverty, Paul was confident that they too would not be lacking. And here again, he is pointing us to the blessing of giving and beloved, and that God can be trusted and you can never outgive the Lord. And even when they gave, and even when we give, even when the math doesn't seem to add up, God will supply for you your every need. And Paul calls the giving of the Philippians. Don't miss this. He says, I call it a gift. Doma in the Greek, it is a present, it is given freely, yes, to Paul, but also unto the Lord. And none of it was wasted. Paul calls it a fragrant offering, a sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing unto God. This is why I say almost every week that giving is a part of worship. It's a response of who God is and what he's done for us. And, and we ought to come to God with empty hands to say, God, you do whatever in my life that you desire to do, but also come to him with full hearts of gratitude, willing to give freely unto the Lord. And Paul understands it is a great blessing and opportunity to give back and a responsibility to give unto the Lord and a higher praise could not have been given to the Philippians and to the giver here. It is a great offering, he says, a sacrifice. He knows it's a sacrifice and it's pleasing unto God. It is acceptable unto him. Such was the offering of Abel in Genesis 4. Such was the offering of Noah in Genesis 8, a pleasing aroma and sacrifice to God after the flood. Such was the sacrifices of Israel when they bring to God with a pure heart And such was the sacrifice of Christ, the offering of Christ Himself unto the Lord, Ephesians 5.2. And such should be our posture and our way of life for all Christians to give in this way unto the Lord, 2 Corinthians 2.15-16. And where Paul points from here is to the glory of God, to the glory of Christ, namely that God will supply all of your needs according to the riches of the glory of Christ. To consider the glory of God in Christ and his gospel. This is where Paul has been pointing the Philippians all throughout this letter to dwell not on the things of this earth, but on things that are beyond a here and now, that we think not as citizens of Rome or Philippi, but we think in terms of our citizenship in heaven, to consider not ourself, but others in the glory of God, to not be concerned with the things of earth and earthly gain, but to see Christ as our greatest gain, to focus our minds not on the things of this world, but on heaven and eternity with Christ, and consider not your present circumstances, but on the coming glory of Christ. And in that, we recognize that all of our needs have been supplied according to the riches of the glory of Jesus Christ. To consider what is it that we have needed that Christ hasn't given to us in Christ? What tender mercies has He ever withheld from you? What grace has he refuses, has he ever refused to extend to you a sinner in need? What peace, what contentment that he has not promised to even in the worst of trials? What promise to you has he left unfulfilled or unmet in Christ? What hope has been forgotten to only leave us in ruin and despair? Which of God's children has ever been abandoned and neglected in the gospel? None. Every need, every need we've ever had, have been supplied and will be supplied in the gospel. The forgiveness, the reconciliation, the pardon, the assurance, the peace, the hope, they all belong to us in Christ. And Christ demonstrated to us in his gospel that he gave the greatest offering and sacrifice unto the Lord and he then supplies us with our every need. And what a wealth of grace that Christ extends to us and what richness of his beauty that Christ gives to us and all of it, Paul says is to the praise of the glory of God. And finally, we see the glory of partnership. And that's how Paul ends. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Great every saint in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul ends with the glory of God and the result of partnership is toward that end, the glory of God, that the gospel is advancing in the same way that his imprisonment is for Christ. It's become known throughout all the imperial guard that his chains are for Jesus. And Paul says the gospel has spread into all parts of the Roman Empire, even unto Caesar's household. And Paul says that our mission here, our mission here is to continue that gospel. And so we say that we exist to advance the gospel for the glory of God, to see God glorified when the gospel is advanced and the gospel is advancing through the giving of partners and through the partnership of the Philippians. And they see the gospel work of the apostle Paul through preaching and through the gospel bearing fruit and through churches being strengthened and churches being planted through Paul's ministry. And all of it, Paul says, is to the great end of the praise and the worth and honor and glory to the name of Christ. And he says, may he be glorified in all places and to all people. May the glory of God fill the earth as waters cover the sea, Habakkuk 2.14. And may our lives too be to that end, that whatever we do, we do for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31. So that whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. 2 Corinthians 5.9. That the glory of God, beloved, is the highest and the chiefest end of man. It is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And that happens, Paul says, that happens through the saints of God working together to spread the gospel of Christ. The preaching of the gospel to all places and peoples. Brothers and sisters, he says this gospel's not just in Philippi. It's in Rome and there's brothers and sisters here partnering in Rome together for the gospel that the partnership now includes faithful brothers and sisters who are in Rome and Paul's plea is that the gospel will continue to spread to say, get this message out together, through partnership, together. Let's keep going. That in every generation that God might receive glory, that he might receive the honor that is due to him, that the gospel continues to spread and that God would be glorified forever and ever and ever. And as we continue together, I think Paul is pointing to something very important. He says, we will need the very thing that enabled us to begin in the first place. And this is why Paul ends his letter almost in the same way that he began. Flip back to the opening verses of the book of Philippians and then we'll come to a close. Paul begins, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the overseers or the pastors and deacons, nobody says in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then flip over four chapters later and see how he ends. The last words, the departing words to the church at Philippi, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And Paul closes this wonderful letter to the Philippians to say, pursue joy, pursue unity, pursue Christ, continue in partnership together and continue by the same grace in which you began. That is the glory of partnership and togetherness in the gospel to continue in Christ and to proclaim the glory of God would be furthered in all peoples and places that together that we too would work to that end by His grace, and for His glory. And as we come to a close this morning, here's what I see, even among us at Grace Life, that God continues to give us fresh life and seeing new faces and God sending people our way and seeing the gospel of Christ advanced. And I sense that we're continuing to near and inch slowly in that direction. But only let me say this, that it takes time, beloved, for God to build His church. And one day we'll thank Him that it took that much time because it will only prove that He has built it right. And the way that God builds His church is He builds it, first of all, through faithful expository preaching and through a local church willing to submit to the foundation of God's holy word and being faithfully committed to follow the Scriptures And so as Grace Life Church continues toward that end and commits itself and commits to one another and commits together to pursue Christ, to speak the truth in love and to give biblical accountability, to give godly encouragement and to continue engaging to exalt Christ in Christ-exalting evangelism and missions and preaching the gospel and the scriptures and that we are anchored in the truth of God's word. Those are the ingredients that continue life and vitality to the local church. That is On the Word of God, those are the things that God uses to build His church. And we're continuing to inch in that direction, building and building and building and continuing. And beloved, it's just going to continue to take time. And that we're not concerned with pragmatic approaches or gimmicks to bring people into the church. Beloved, first of all, it's not our church, it belongs to Christ. And because it belongs to him, we build this church. God builds this church in the means that he has prescribed through his word, not in gimmicks and not in pragmatism. For Paul warns in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God that we speak in Christ. He warns again in 2 Corinthians 4, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tampering with God's Word. But by the open statement of truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Beloved, pragmatism, just something that works, is not the means of biblical growth and health. But it is instead... Through the preaching of the gospel, through the proclamation of the truth of Scripture. Beloved, that's what people are looking for today. They're looking for truth. In a world filled with confusion, in every opinion, and every affirmation under the sun, what people really need is the truth of God's Word. And that is what the church is to stand for and to build upon. And beloved, as we do that, it's just going to continue, take time. And I just want to remind you this morning to say that in the meantime, I really believe and continue and will ask you to continue to pray that Grace Life pray and consider meaningful partnerships together to keep us moving forward, to keep us advancing the gospel to help us to partner with us to serve with us to go with us and to give and to receive to advance the gospel for the glory of god and here's what i would ask from you twofold first is that you would consider your personal commitment and partnership with us and joining in the work of this body to continue and to join with to declare publicly and formally i'm in and secondly, to pray for God to open a door for gospel partnerships with like-minded churches, biblically healthy churches. Proverbs 18:11 says this: He says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he breaks out against all sound judgment. Beloved, that's true for you as an individual. God has created you for community. He's created you to be involved in the life of a local church. But that's also true for a local church as well. That we aren't to be an island. Beloved, it's dangerous to be a ship out at sea by themselves. But instead, that we would lean in, we would work with, partner with other like-minded, biblically healthy churches to see the glory of God and the gospel go forward. Partnership. The joy of not just receiving, but partnering with and giving with the goal of gospel advancement for the glory of Christ. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grace Life Church podcast. If you would like more information or have questions about Grace Life Church, please email us at gracelifedecatur at gmail.com or find us on Facebook by searching Grace Life Church Decatur. And if you live in the Decatur area, we would love for you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Until next time on the Grace Life Church podcast.